0: Fresh
1: brains. Hi, this is Bill Gross. Today Carl Yannick and I are going to be talking about using ketamine in TBI patients. Now, ketamine is traditionally avoided in neuropatients, even though there's surprisingly little evidence to support that, and in fact, there's a little evidence that it might help. Even if you don't use ketamine personally, if you're involved in TBI patients or managing their ICP, I think you're going to find this topic very interesting as always i'll try to throw the references into the show notes and into our website freshbrains.wtf if you want to look up the papers yourself hope you enjoy so carl today i want to talk about ketamine which is kind of like one of my hot button topics oh really yeah cuz we'll get into we'll get into the whole issue but first of all for for people out there who might not know what ketamine is what what is ketamine and when, when do we normally use it? Well, ketamine's got
0: a lot of uses for us. We, we tend to use it mostly on the spine side of things. Yeah. Where especially with uh, some of these spine patients, especially the redo fusions, what have you, you know, mm-hmm. they have difficulty with pain control. They're on chronic opiates. For sure. We'll often
1: require ketamine to help them with their pain control post-op. For sure. That's the primary time where where we use it nowadays it's really good as a pain adjunct and in in low doses it can you can give it to someone it'll just kind of make them a little zonked out and it it helps it helps them tolerate pain really well at higher doses it's a full-on anesthetic so you can you can give it just to if you want to intubate someone you can give someone a big slug of ketamine and they will go completely out and you can put a breathing tube in how often do you use it like that so Different people use different drugs in in different times. It's one of our good sort of, it's one of our good induction drugs that doesn't make them that doesn't make the patient too hemodynamically unstable. So it's frequently used in like the trauma or in the patient who has a bad heart. In that context, we usually have either atomidate or ketamine. And because of some of the side effects of ketamine, a lot of times I, th- I in my practice, what I see is I'll, most people go with atomidate in that situation. So personally, what I've seen, we actually don't really use it all that often. I think the emergency medicine people use ketamine more often for those sorts of things. Specifically, mechanistically it's a nmda antagonist right that's how that's how it exerts its effects really exciting well it's anti-exciting it's an antagonist nmda which Ah. is the excitatory neurotransmitter
0: oh even your mechanical
1: receptor what am i talking about all right it's like it's like a chemical buzzkill your nmda is your glutamate receptor your primary glutamate receptor which is your excitatory neurotransmitter so it's an NMDA antagonist so it's a brain buzzkill yeah mm-hmm. but it treats pain so it's good Perfect. so why are we talking about this in a neuro podcast so if you if you bring up like the most recent anesthesia textbook if you go on wikipedia if you go wherever and you look up should i use ketamine in my neuropatient, you're going to find well All of the IV anesthetics work pretty well in neuropatients, propofol, barbiturates, they reduce ICP, they maintain cerebrovascular coupling, except for ketamine. Ketamine has been shown to increase ICP, increase cerebral blood flow, increase EEG activity. It does like all the bad things to the brain. And so if you have a TBI patient, if you have someone with increased ICP, you should not use ketamine, is kind of what a lot of the textbooks say. Even, I mean, even current editions of textbooks. Hmm. If you look at the ketamine package insert, it says, an increase in cerebrospinal fluid pressure has been reported following administration of ketamine used with extreme caution in patients with pre-anesthetic elevated CBF pressure. It's interesting they say use with extreme caution rather than, no, don't recommend it. Don't use it. They can't say don't use it. I guess so. They're saying this for a reason. (laughs) You would think so. You would think if all of the textbooks say, this is really dangerous to use. It increases ICP. And if you look in the package insert, it says use with extreme caution. You would think that, well, there's got to be some evidence out there that it's really bad, right? Well, you, you figure otherwise, why would it be such a universal truth to be in a textbook? Yes. I mean, <laughs> textbooks are the source of all truth. We know that. So let's go through the story. So this all started, ketamine was, I don't know when it was invented or when it was started being used kind of globally, but I'm, I believe it was FDA approved in the U.S. in 71, and so it was like just released, brand new in the U.S., 71, and there was this Lancet letter by Evans- so this guy said, okay, so ketamine, it's this great drug. One of the cool things about ketamine is that it doesn't really reduce your your respiratory drive. So you can give it to a lot of people, and it's not it doesn't make them hemodynamically unstable. They don't stop breathing. So you can give it to all sorts of people in, like, different situations. But one thing that they noticed early on was that it does increase your sympathetics, which is kind of one of the good things. It's one of the reasons why it doesn't drop your blood pressure is because it maintains your sympathetic drive. So he was saying, mm, you know... Increases your sympathetics, maybe it's gonna do something to your ICP. So he took four patients, I believe these were kids, they were getting LPs, and he did the LP and he hooked up the LP to a pressure transducer, and he gave these he gave these kids these boluses of ketamine and then watched what their ICP did. And after giving them ketamine, he noticed that their ICP slowly climbed up over the next like five, ten minutes. And so he published this letter in Lancet saying, "Hey guys, I know we think ketamine's all super cool and like the rage now, but you know, maybe we should think about does this actually have effects on ICP? Is it going to be safe in neuropatients?" So following that first letter, there were a handful of these short case series of people sort of kind of doing the same thing. Like there was Gardner 71 where people doing, they were getting like spinal anesthetics for ortho procedures. So they put in the spinal and then they just transduced the pressure and they gave them these ketamine boluses. There were a couple other a couple other studies with some hydrocephalus patients and some infants and stuff. All of these studies basically found the same sort of pattern. We have these patients that... All they did was they did the LP, none of these patients, they ventilated, they did anything to, they just had them sitting there. They gave them these really big boluses of ketamine. The, the boluses of ketamine they were giving were two to three mgs per kig IV of ketamine, which is base, huge. It's, base, it's basically an induction dose. So they were giving them the induction doses of ketamine, completely zonking them out, letting them sit there for you know 20 minutes, drooling on themselves. And then measuring their ICP during this time. Yeah, no, these these changes that they're inducing are pretty huge, right? Exactly, and it's it's a couple case reports, completely uncontrolled. You know what what else could be happening during this time that they're sitting there drooling on themselves? Right, they're they're, they're introducing
0: all these confounding factors. But what was really striking was the difference in ICP. Yeah, I mean, TBI <laughs> patients, we're always trying to keep it below twenty, or now below twenty-two. Uh huh depending on what you read and the change. Yeah. The increase, not, not, not the actualized people. The
1: increase is 25 centimeters of water, right? Yeah. Yeah. In this, in this one study, it was the, the average increase was 25 centimeters of water. And there, and some of the individual, if you look at some of the individual changes, like I'm just, I'm bringing up the, this is the Gardner 71 study right now. So it was patient, patient number eight, his baseline CSF pressure in, in millimeters of mercury was twenty millimeters of mercury. They gave him the ketamine bolus, and it went up to sixty three millimeters of mercury. That is 60, 63. What, and and what? he woke up right. He didn't hurt. <laughs> <Yeah. any. laughs> you you look at the monitor and you see your patient's ICP is sixty three millimeters of mercury. You're like oh that's that's, a rupture an aneurysm. Mm, that's interesting. But okay, so in that same patient, his they also had they had art lines in these people. I think in that same patient. His mean his mean blood pressure his MAP went from 95 to 150. Oh man, <laughs> a MAP of 150. Like of course of course your ICP is 60. Your what's your systolic blood pressure? Like insane. So a couple a couple case reports of completely uncontrolled administrations of ketamine showing yes it does seem to increase your ICP when you give induction doses of ketamine to people who are not intubated, who are not controlled in any other way and you do absolutely nothing else to them, it will increase your ICP. So therefore, we should never use ketamine in anyone again. It's totally dangerous. I mean that, that's clearly the logic. Afterwards. Clearly. <laughs> what would happen to someone if I gave them an induction dose of propofol and did absolutely nothing else to them? <laughs> who knows, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure you would die. Yeah. I I think that's that's a clear clear outcome. Right. So there's all sorts of all sorts of problems with these studies. The yeah. blood pressure was clearly uncontrolled and while respiratory drive is maintained pretty well with ketamine, your minute ventilation is not completely maintained especially at these huge doses. And so I bet they were retaining CO2, which we obviously know is a huge right and well then they were taking ABGs, right? Some of these some of these studies did take ABGs, and they they showed slight increases in CO two, not that much. But were they taking it like
0: at induction, and like like right now that that took the ICP like minutes and minutes yeah. to change. Yeah, if they're taking just a single sample point for the ABG, if it's at the beginning, well, it's not
1: really useful information. <laughs> yeah, like this Gibbs one, it says the the ABG was done immediately after giving the bolus, but these these ICP changes took like ten minutes to to. Actually occur. So even though they send an ABG, we really don't have the data to say they were actually ventilating. It's like you're saying, you know, the yeah. minimum ventilation is going to fall. Yeah, and, and and it's it's a couple it's a couple patients. You can't you can't make big statements over little, small studies like this. Well, clearly they did anyway. <laughs> they did because so I I wasn't around in the 70s, and I just started being around in the 80s. And I could not find, I could not find anyone using ketamine in neuropatients after this. It was like after these first couple studies, it was like ketamine was blacklisted from neuropatients. And that's kind of how it stayed for a really long time. Mm-hmm. One of the interesting things, I think one of the things that was the redeeming factor of ketamine that actually gave us more data was that it is a really good drug. And because it's such a good drug, it was used, It and it is still it still is used, a ton in animals. Mm-hmm. And... One of the other really nice things is you can use an i m too so you you can you know, like you don't have to get an IV in your monkey or whatever you just ketamine dart them and <laughs> and they they sit there and they you know start kind of like zonking out and drool and then you can yeah. do whatever you want build a researcher with a blow gun <laughs> yeah it's that's monkey in a sights. it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> the <laughs> standard standard equipment for all animal research your blow dart gun so so they' they they kept doing these these studies with ketamine in animals and they, they were noticing, you know, all these things that they're saying that, you know, ketamine increases ICP, it doesn't really seem like it does that in animals. And, you know, humans are different animals, but you'd think that the dynamics of your CSF works similarly. One of the proposed mechanisms they had when they did these initial studies where they increased ICP, one of the things that they said was it's probably increasing your cerebral blood flow. It's like you're getting you're getting your sympathetics worked up, and so it's probably causing this increase in cerebral blood flow. So there was this one study Bjorkman in '92, where they said, okay, you guys say ketamine increases cerebral blood flow, so they had these pigs and they put these arterial catheters up into their brain, and they me- they directly measured cerebral blood flow, which obviously you can't do in humans. Well, it's hard. You don't you don't want to do it experimentally usually in humans, and. They gave them these boluses of ketamine and showed that actually, after a ketamine bolus, it actually reduced your cerebral blood flow. Hmm. So, this thing that we keep saying is true about ketamine, well, okay, we tested it and it's actually not true.
0: Was it a small number of pigs or something? Was it just one or two? Or,
1: I, I mean, like I think it a random was effect. Like a or was it just,
0: I mean, this is a, a peer reviewed study. Clearly, they yeah. <laughs> got a pretty significant result.
1: It was a, I think it was a good study. It was published in the Journal of Pharmacokinetics and Biopharmaceutics. So that's J a good Farm, journal, Bio right? Farm. <laughs> Yeah, okay. So 20 pigs of mixed Swedish domestic breed. Okay, so they had as many
0: pigs as they had humans in the same <laughs> for this. Touché, deal.
1: touché. But this is experimental. <laughs> this right, is no, not, it's, it's perfect. It's, it's it, controlled. Yeah. So we have a handful of human case studies completely uncontrolled showing this increase in ICP. And then we have this kind of developing animal data, experimental data saying, oh, all these mechanisms, all these mechanisms you're saying and all these effects you're saying that happen in humans, they just don't happen. Mm -hmm. And so the first actual demonstration in humans that I could find was Mayberg 1995. And the senior author on that study was Dick Wynn. I thought this was a pretty awesome study to do at the time cuz I could I really couldn't find a whole lot of evidence to support doing this but they kind of went all out in this study. They took 20 patients, 10 of them were tumor patients, 10 of them were subarachnoid patients. They all had increased ICP and they lined them up. They got EEGs on them. They had transcranial Doppler to directly measure cerebral blood flow. They all had EVDs in measuring their ICP. They had jugular bulb catheters to measure the brain metabolism to look at the the vascular coupling to see if the vascular coupling to metabolism was, was maintained. They had them under standard surgical procedures, they intubated them, they had them on steady state anesthetics, they had them kind of, you know, at a, at a normal steady state, they gave them 1 mg per kg of ketamine, which is a pretty solid dose of ketamine, and they found after the ketamine, their ICP dropped, their cerebral blood flow dropped, their vascular coupling was maintained, as in their metabolism, their cerebral me- metabolism dropped inappropriately, and their EEG activity reduced; it didn't go crazy, and in fact, it actually the ketamine induced burst suppression. Hmm. If you look at overall what ketamine's doing here, I mean, to me, it looks like exactly the same as propofol, right? Which is like our go-to drug for for these neuro patients, right?
0: Right. Yeah, you want to decrease your
1: your metabolism, and then you decrease your excitotoxicity, and yeah. That's the idea, at least. Yeah. And contrast some of our other drugs. It doesn't cause vasodilation. It doesn't cause increased ICP. It has this nice reduced cerebral blood flow, reduced ICP, reduced metabolism. So that first study kind of basically was just like, okay, we have this theory based on these couple of case reports that ketamine is really bad in these neuropatients and it seems like it's just wrong. Oh, yeah. So it looks like ket- everything we thought about ketamine is just not true at least that those aspects of it. Yeah. The negative aspects, it looks like the negative aspects that we kept attributing to ketamine relating to its effects on ICP just don't seem to be true when we test it experimentally in patients who are otherwise controlled. Right. If you give someone a bolus of ketamine and they're completely not intubated and they're just sitting there and they're, you know, again, blood pressure is going out of control. They're not breathing. I guarantee their ICP is going to increase
0: yeah and a lot of the other things that they were clearly trying to measure, like the, like the carbon dioxide, they just didn't measure what they needed to to help us reconcile these two differences. yeah
1: well, though there, they were, there were just the initial the initial reports, they were kind of fleshing stuff out. i wish I right. wish initially it was just followed up more. I wish they actually kind of did, but when a new drug comes out, and you don't know what it's doing and then you have a couple case reports of oh man it could really hurt this really sensitive population well i mean it is kind of reasonable to say well it's you know we don't know what it's doing it looks like it's really bad for this population we're just not going to use it for them
0: yeah it makes a lot of sense like it's like you have your start point Mm -hmm. and you can go anywhere with it so there are just infinite number of directions you can take this thing so any, t- any chance you have to cut that down from infinity <laughs> is great. It's like having the computer guess randomly versus telling the computer, why don't you check over here?
1: Yeah. <laughs> like so, this part doesn't seem okay. Let's check over here. So starting from zero information, we got a lot of information from those initial case studies. Right. But yeah, it, it, it's nice to not... We didn't settle into the wrong local minimum. Yes, yes, we settled into the wrong local minimum. That's the problem. So there was that initial Mayberg study, which was pretty cool. It was a well-done study, and then that was that was actually followed up a couple years later. There's this Albanese study in '97 that had a, it was similar kind of study, but it was in TBI patients. It had eight TBI patients. So again, not that not that big in numbers, but still eight TBI patients. Well-done study. They gave them 1.5, three, and five MIGs per kg of ketamine. Which are huge doses, and same thing. Found the exact same thing. They all reduced IC- reduced ICP. So we now have it replicated in our inter- in the population
0: mm-hmm. that we're interested
1: in, mm-hmm. and in sort of more more controlled conditions. We've shown that every single time we do this, it seems to be reducing ICP. So that's a pretty you know, it's a pretty strong effect where we're okay. We're consistently showing that what we thought was happening is just not happening. So now now I think that says okay we really need to look at this more. So since then, there have been a bunch of studies. There there hasn't really been a really, really huge study looking at ketamine, but there's something like 20 randomized trials comparing ketamine to other treatments and looking at the effects in ICP. There's a couple recent reviews that were really nice. There's this Zeiler 2014 systemic review that looked at ketamine boluses and infusions in TBI. I think these were all like ICU patients where they were, they were giving them ketamine boluses or putting them on ketamine infusions to try to control their ICP. The review consisted of seven studies, totaled 150 patients overall, and every single study showed a decrease in ICP after ketamine, both with the infusions and with bolus dosing ketamine. You give a bolus dose of ketamine to someone who's already sedated, ventilated in the, in the ICU, it's going to drop their ICP. Perfect. Yeah. At this point, we're getting to the numbers and the consistency where you can say, like, mm, okay, now we're actually getting good data that this this effect that we thought was happening in these couple case reports, it just it just isn't happening when we look at the numbers. What sort of doses were they using for that? So dosing wise, just just for context, let's let's take a step back. If what I would use, like for example, for an analgesic effect, is like 0.1, 0.2 mgs per kg. So yeah. like let's just say you know the the magical hundred kilo patient because all of our patients are 100 kilos now (laughs) a nice a nice analgesic dose would be like 10 20 milligrams that's like a it'll it'll get you a little a little out of it it'll kind of help with your pain it's not going to make you unconscious but this is like a factor of 10 Then is what we're talking about the difference in these doses the intubating dose is usually one to two migs per kg, so like 100, 200 milligrams of ketamine, that will knock you out. That will make you unconscious. Most of these studies that it's looking at, they were generally giving like 1, 1. 1.5 migs per kg was kind of the low end up to 3 to 5 migs per kg. But, you know, the same, the same as the, that Albany study. These are all kind of in the same range, like 1 to 2-ish. They're all basically using the intubating dose of ketamine. Mm-hmm. Well, presumably these are severe TBIs. The rule of thumb, right? GCS less than eight, intubate? <laughs> <laughs> yes. The patient population that we're talking about right now is they're all bad neuropatients with increased ICP. Anyone who has uncontrolled increased ICP, they're all going to be in the ICU. They're all going to be intubated. They're all going to be, they're probably all on propofol infusions. So that that's really the context that we're talking about here. I don't know if I could think about a patient that I would really be concerned about their like uncontrolled ICP where they weren't already intubated I guess you could have someone on the edge well I guess you could see a couple of maybe the hydrocephalus
0: kids I mean it's a specific population you have those kids with the cranial vault that we need to expand sure that's about all I can think of Huh
1: and there were a couple other recent papers there's this Wang 2014 this is a, a meta analysis of 5 trials 200 patients that was specifically looking at giving patients with increased ICP ketamine versus fentanyl boluses i believe and the different there was there was no difference in ICP they both dropped your ICP and they both dropped by the same amount ketamine did not increase the ICP in those patients and then there was a pretty, a pretty large systemic review by Cohen, 2015, looking trying to link ketamine with increased ICP and clinical outcomes. So this looked over 10 studies, and it covered about 1,000 patients, and it did not find any differences in giving ketamine versus something else like Atomidate in some of these studies, in patients with increased ICP and their clinical outcomes. If you, for example, if you have patients who show up with severe TBI, some trauma, and you decide to use ketamine to intubate versus Atomidate, outcomes are the same. Perfect. Yeah. So what, what I'm hearing, though, is that this could be a, another medical treatment
0: for ICPs, which is really important for us, for all these times where you got someone that's on the edge and you're trying to determine surgery, no surgery... And you'd really like to avoid it for many reasons. Not just 3 a.m. That was a joke.
1: <laughs> Mostly because uh, I'm tired. <laughs>
0: no, but I'm, I'm thinking back to a couple times where you have the person that we already did a craniectomy on. And they have mm-hmm. an EVD. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to determine if you need to do the other side for a craniectomy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is extreme measure. It's like, is there another line treatment here? And then it looks like there is. You'd have those people on propofol sedation, right? You have them fully sedated on propofol. They're burst suppressed on their EEG. Uh They are paralyzed. (laughs)
1: They're like on 200 per hour of fentanyl. Uh (laughs) I would would bet that if you had them completely zonked on propofol, a ketamine bolus on top of that is not going to do anything different. Okay, that's why that's why we listen to Bill. (laughs) (laughs) I think having ketamine as an option, like like in those patients with uncontrolled ICP in the ICU, I think having ketamine as an option to knock their ICP down is actually a really good option for the same reasons that we like it in anesthesia: the hemodynamic stability. For example, you give someone a big propofol slug, yeah, you will drop their ICP, but you you can also drop their blood pressure, and we know if you know looking at the looking at the outcome data ICP is is correlated with bad outcomes we can get into the the causality aspect of that but even more correlated with with bad outcomes than ICP is blood pressure you drop right. someone's blood pressure that is really bad for severe TBIs we know that clearly oh for sure so you you start giving people boluses of propofol to control their ICP at the expense of running them hypotensive that's not going to be good right Whereas, if you give them these ketamine infusions, ketamine boluses, maybe you can control their ICP and also maintain their blood pressure, try and maintain some perfusion. So, it sounds like great for a polysystem trauma patient sort yeah. of thing. And their pain's going to be super well controlled. You're <laughs> right. And so, there's all sorts of interesting good things about ketamine we've already talked about. It. But even beyond that, could ketamine be like the magical wonder drug for a severe TBI? Mm. Mm. and why why would we think that it might be like good for tbi well it's an nmda antagonist right oh yeah and we know so you know and when we talk about in severe tbi we talk about preventing secondary injury like okay the primary injury is like the guy got their head banged okay we we can't prevent that that already happened but we there's all sorts of stuff happening in their brain making more brain die and we want to stop that and one of the mechanisms that we think is glutamatic cytotoxicity, right? Uh huh. And we like we talked about glutamate, the receptors, NMDA, ketamine's an NMDA antagonist. Whoa. Whoa. Could ketamine stop this glutamate cytotoxicity effect? And the other thing ketamine can do, which is kind of weird, is also anti-inflammatory. And we know a lot of the a lot of the bad stuff that happens is also related to inflammatory pathways. So oh, there's, we're gonna start talking about steroids. We should totally give all our TBI patients steroids. It totally works, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> awkward laugh.
0: Awkward laugh. Right, but it's interesting because that's the other mechanism behind, you know, when you start talking about like, giving propofol or fentanyl. Your your whole idea is to try to reduce metabolism and decrease
1: excitotoxicity. Yeah.
0: So this has potentially a direct mechanism to decrease that.
1: Yeah, definitely. So one of the one of the ways that we see this excitatory activity in the brain is the the cortical spreading depolarizations right we get this like the spreading wave of like seizure activity that just kind of goes across the brain really kind of weird to see seems to correlate with like ischemia of the areas and we think that it might be related to increased damage that 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 these these neurons getting starved for energy start Depolarizing like crazy, and they're actually using up more energy in doing it, and that's actually hurting them, mm-hmm. right? And so there was this one study, Sakowitz, 2009, where it was it was a case report of two patients, so not that big of a study, but okay, it was two patients, these TBI patients, and they had cortical spreading depressions. They gave them ketamine, and it stopped the spreading depressions. Oh man, yeah. So okay, okay, it's two patients doesn't tell us much but you know suggests uh, maybe maybe we could try it
0: see if it works That well, makes sense when you were talking about earlier the the burst suppression effects
1: yeah you could i mean we we know that giving high doses of it can induce burst suppression is that going to be good is that going to actually improve outcome well i mean like everything else we've tried with tbi seems like it should work and doesn't so i can't say it's going to but well, Those things work
0: great on surrogates, (laughs) surrogate markers for (laughs) outcomes. Exactly.
1: So this works great on surrogate markers, so for sure it's going to improve clinical outcomes. Well, maybe. Not
0: like it's been tested, right? But we have we have done some tests though, right? Like you were saying, um, uh, say in terms of
1: improved outcome with ketamine. There really is not much data, unfortunately. There's a lot of like suggestions, but so there's there's this one study. This and this this is all the stuff that I could find. There's probably a couple other little stuff, but I couldn't find any real definitive stuff out there. There's this one study looking at the spreading depolarizations. There's a couple other ones looking at. So there's one there's one looking at infants going on cardiac bypass, showing that. If you give them ketamine while they're on bypass, it reduces inflammatory markers in their brain, which can be cool. There was this other study that I, f- I personally find really interesting, Houdet's 2009. I find it particularly interesting because it was done at our home institution, Milwaukee. It was done at the Milwaukee VA, and it's it was looking at patients undergoing cabbages and they randomized them to get ketamine during the cabbage during bypass versus not they got it they got it just as one bolus up front in the surgery and then they measured a week out they measured memory outcomes so they gave them like a list of words to memorize and then they they tested how good their memory was one thing that was kind of disconcerting was that the control group in this study, it was 52 patients overall. There were 26 control, 26 where they got the ketamine. The control group, 21 out of 26 patients significantly declined on their memory. That's huge. That's a lot of patients. kind of makes me not want to not want to get a cabbage right (laughs) what else was going on during these cabbages yeah i don't i don't know if that's the base i don't i don't know much about the the cabbage you know pump brain literature but i don't know if that's the baseline level but okay whatever that that was the control group in this study in the ketamine intervention arm seven out of 26 had cognitive decline memory decline so significantly wow. better, like hugely better. It's in huge effect group. size. It's so big of an effect size that I kind of don't believe it. It's so right. huge. But I couldn't really find any follow-up on this though. This is the only study that I saw. That was 10 years ago. I know. So I could not find any other real good studies showing positive effects of ketamine. And to me, it's like it, it's ripe for another good study to look into.
0: You know, it may have been the timing, because I feel like around these times, that's when you start seeing these hypothermia, these major hypothermia studies uh-huh. coming out, like Eurotherm 3235 or whatever. Sure. And a couple more of the uh, craniectomy trials that were that were being published, that were kind of in progress at this time. So maybe sure. maybe they fell by the wayside. I'm not sure when the people started questioning the ICP relates to outcome dogma. Sure. But, so
1: kind of maybe it got maybe money got diverted on the time people got distracted people stopped caring or especially because it seems so promising we just wonder yeah. why it has been studied more yeah maybe maybe people just know more than we do and there's some obvious reason why it's bad and. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's why we have different specialties.
0: We're <laughs> gonna find some sort of comment that someone's gonna leave us and say. Do you realize that ketamine does this?
1: How could you possibly think about this? So, if you are if you are a knowledgeable person out there and know why we don't use ketamine in these patients, please please let us know. But I to me, looking at the literature. I think it's been pretty definitively shown that in in the right patient population, when you're controlling them, which you are in most of these in most of these severe ICP patients anyway, when they're intubated, when they're controlled, it does not increase your ICP. It is safe. So I think using it, probably one of the things holding us back from using it in a lot of these patients is it was just never thought widespread to be safe. Right. Now that we've shown that it's it is safe. I think it's well worth trying to do some larger trials to see, does it actually have a positive effect in these patients? Well, especially because when you're considering that, like, one of the main negative prognostic factors for
0: TBI is hypotension, mm-hmm. but our main first-line sedative is propofol. Mm-hmm. If this does the good things of propofol without inducing the hypotension, like, yeah. well, that'd be, it seems ripe for, a like, a yeah. some sort of study to at least to show that's not inferior to propofol. Yeah, hmm. definitely. Want to do it? That'd be fantastic. I would love to. I'm already doing this. another R- like, one. <laughs> We're doing this RCT. I
1: told you about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you just pile it on to all the stuff you're doing. Get Someone, the New England Journal article and then. We just need to get the money for it. Right. If anyone out there has like a, bunch a bunch of money.
0: Right? Yeah. Yeah. If you if you have some money. <laughs> that you want to send us and you really like ketamine. I mean, ketamine profile got to be cheap by now. Probably. Ke- I'm sure ketamine's dirt cheap. We have like an organic chemistry lab
1: like downtown. Uh-huh. <laughs> I could add Prob- some calcium to something.
0: That's what's in ket- that's what a
1: probe fall. I bet the handling cost of ketamine is like orders of magnitude more than the actual ketamine because ketamine's so old, it's probably like nothing. But it is like a super controlled drug, right? So like, <laughs> <Yeah>. well, so <laughs> like fentanyl, The cost though. of pharmacy is probably higher. That fentanyl's probably the same thing. Like th- yeah. those, except we we just use it so much, right? Everywhere. So that's that's about what I know about ketamine. After talking about all that, I have a question for you. So you, clinician you, you're in the ICU next week, you got a patient, crazy uncontrolled ICP, their blood pressures have been kind of, you know, not so good, and they spike up in their ICP. The nurse is like, hey, Carl, you want me to give a propofol bolus? To someone with uh, blood pressure issues? Would you be like, you know what? I'm going to give him some ketamine. I think it's a reasonable option. Yeah, it's a perfectly reasonable option. Yeah, I think the data support that. I don't know. I don't know about clinical practice out there of what people are doing right now, but to me, the data support that it would be a totally reasonable thing to do. Right. I feel personally comfortable saying that I would do that with
0: what the data shows. Yeah, I mean, and and, and I mean, there's an algorithm put out there by Brain Trauma Foundation uh-huh. about you know medications to use, what hypertonics, yeah. which is actually interesting because they do say there's not enough data for. I'll look that up actually before. it. Okay. But they talk about when to use hypertonics, when to use sedatives, what have you. Yeah. And it feels like ketamine should be included in at least the sedatives portion of that. So with regard to anesthetics, the Brain Trauma Foundation, the main foundation that puts out guidelines for treatment of Mm -hmm. severe TBI, Mm -hmm. they actually talk a little bit about what sedatives are good, what's not. Okay. They don't really have they don't have any level one or two a recommendations, but they have level two b recommendations on it. Uh huh. They talk about propofol. They point out that propofol is recommended to try to decrease your ICP. They're saying you know you shouldn't use propofol with an aim towards improving clinical outcome. Yeah. But if you're trying to reduce ICP, then propofol is great. Let's see propofol for head injured patients. Propofol versus midazolam. They don't talk about ketamine. Yeah, they do kind of mention a couple of papers that look at propofol and morphine. Okay, but I mean, not even fentanyl's in here. But yeah, it's just it seems to be one of
1: those things that we know about. I mean, one one reason why it might not end up in the Brain Trauma Foundation guidelines, you know, just like with any with any guidelines, it might be that it just takes a while for opinion to change and for the evidence to build up. So I mean, maybe it's just not there yet. Maybe the the overall opinion of ketamine that I see talking with people is still that you have to be careful using it in neuro patients even though I don't think there's really any evidence to support that. So maybe it's just kind of the general opinion hasn't changed to say that we should be using it in these patients. Right. And we move so slow and, and part of
0: it's a safety thing. We yeah. we know that we we have treats the conditions that we have. It might not treat it optimally, but we know it treats it. If we were to jump on every single study that yeah. said, okay, this might be this might be a little better. This might be a little better. Mm-hmm. And also the
1: standard of care changes as quickly mm-hmm. no one's ever going to know what to do yeah and these are these are critical patients you know you can't just mess around and try this and that we know that little missteps can easily kill these people we know what we do produces what is currently acceptable outcomes and so we don't want to make anything dramatically worse really quickly i mean and a lot a lot of the problem with these patients
0: is the is the primary injury. While we recognize that mm-hmm. all, all of our care is to decrease secondary injury, but if the primary injury is devastating, you know, we, yeah. that's not something that we're going to help. Yeah. So that's l- why
1: you always wear a helmet. <laughs> it's huge. Mm-hmm. Huge. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see my bicycle helmet? No. I have a full face. It's a mo- It's a motorcycle helmet. Oh, really? It's a full full face motorcycle helmet for my bicycle. Oh man. Yeah. So that's what I got about ketamine. I think it's a cool drug. I think there's a lot of potential. I think people, even now, when I talk to people like in the hallway about ketamine, most of them are still scared to use it in neuropatients. And to me, I don't see why. I don't think that supports the data. So hopefully this is informative to people listening out there. If anyone disagrees, please let us know. Give some feedback. If there's something we missed, you know, please, please send it in. We'll, we will consider it. All right. So we will see you next time. On Fresh Brains.
0: On Fresh Brains.